0: In this passage there are two choices that those we read about have to make. Uh, For both of those choices we see uh, some people make the right decision and some people make the wrong decision and we see the results that those decisions had. But those aren't simply choices that uh, people back then had to make, they're also choices that each of us have to make today. Not just every so often, but every day of our lives. And we're going to look at this passage under two headings this evening. uh, Seeing firstly, the choice between true religion and false religion. The choice between true religion and false religion. Has anyone ever said to you, I saw so-and-so in a certain place? Uh, And you were shocked. In fact you were so shocked that you asked them are they definitely sure that that's what they saw? Because it wasn't the sort of place you would have expected them to be. Well that's the sort of reaction we should have uh, to verse 9 here when we read that Elijah ended up in Zarephath. Uh, because it was the last place that you'd expect God to send him. Living in the wilderness and being miraculously fed by ravens, as we looked at last week, that was one thing. But going to Zaraphath is, is something entirely different. Uh, that God would send Elijah to a widow is surprising enough. In those days widows had nothing. Uh, Once their husband died they would have had no means of supporting themselves. All they could do was try to scrape together enough food to live on. Uh, The outlook for widows was grim even when there wasn't a famine going on. So for Elijah to be told that a widow was going to feed him there was eyebrow raising enough. And yet the most surprising thing about this widow was her postal address. Zarephath was a very unlikely town to feature in the history of God's people. This wasn't a a town, a nice little town where where everyone was believers, uh, quite the opposite Zarephath verse 9 tells us was in Sidon and that was the heart of Baal worship who else do we know who was from Sidon Uh, maybe you, you noticed it as we read chapter 16 verse 31 Jezebel herself Elijah's arch enemy so this wasn't exactly a dream holiday destination for one of God's prophets So why would God possibly send Elijah to Pagansville? Because he wanted to show who was really in control. It is a contest between true religion and false religion. In in the next chapter we'll have the final showdown when the followers of God and the followers of Baal build their altars and God is the God who answers with fire but now that we've read chapter 17 it should already be clear to us which god will come out on top in the next chapter the background of this contest is a drought in israel in the opening verses of the chapter if you want to think of it in terms of a sports match that was the first leg the the home match Ahab uh, the king had tried to bring Baal the, the idol onto God's turf And so God stopped it raining for three and a half years. And drought wasn't a random judgment. The weather was the very thing that Baal was meant to be able to control. By stopping it from raining, God was exposing and ridiculing the powerlessness of Baal and the folly of his worshippers. So that was the first round, but it was on God's territory, so to speak Uh, and the home team always has the advantage but would Baal do any better on his own turf and so here today from verse 9 onwards Elijah who represents God's Word is on foreign soil of course God owns the whole world but as far as the people were concerned Sidon was Baal's territory here Baal should have been at his strongest but just as Baal had been shown uh, to be completely powerless in God's territory here in Baal's own backyard it's the same he's powerless the Lord is all-powerful Baal who was meant to be able to provide growth uh, does nothing. Baal cannot provide for this widow While the Lord miraculously keeps her flour and oil going. And there's a clear message for those back home in Israel. If Jezebel's God has no power in his homeland to provide for his people, then he can hardly be a God who is worthy of worship in Israel. And look at the contrast on the personal level. Uh, because the Bible doesn't just tell us the, the, the big uh, sort of macro level stuff it tells us how this affects individuals we have a, a woman here a widow who has been trusting in Baal in, in verse 12 she, she talks to Elijah about the Lord your God she didn't trust in Elijah's God not yet anyway but look where trusting in Baal had got her uh, the second half of verse 12 must be one of the most hopeless statements in the Bible. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. False religion offers no hope, it is deadly. Here it is left, this widow in despair and on the point of death. But then the Lord shows up. He saves her physically by providing food for her. Uh, there was famine all around, but every day when she opened her cupboard, she still had flour and oil left. And the Lord also saves her spiritually. This Gentile woman became one of God's people. True religion, uh, true faith in the true God brings life and salvation. And it does the same today. Uh, So what about us? Uh, Back in her day, true religion looked like trusting in the Lord. False religion looked like trusting in this, this idol, Baal. What might false religion look like today? Well, one way is being sucked into the atheism of our culture. Because in many ways, atheism is a religion. It takes far more faith to believe that we are the result of random chance than it does to believe in a creator. Uh, Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life. uh, Every single one of which must be met or, or the whole thing would fall apart. For example, without a massive planet like Jupiter nearby, whose gravity will draw away asteroids, a thousand times as many asteroids would hit Earth's surface. But the fine-tuning required for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared to the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. Uh, We're told that the odds of the universe just happening are the same as tossing a coin and having it come up heads 10 quintillion times in a row. Uh, That's one followed by 18 zeros. Uh, You you may not know the name Fred Hoyle, but he is the astronomer who came up with the term the Big Bang. And he said that his atheism was greatly shaken uh, at developments like that. He wrote that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super, a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as the chemistry and biology. In other words, he's saying that it's almost beyond question that there is someone behind the physics, chemistry and biology. And yet people will, will say uh, that they'll believe in the Big Bang because it lets them live for themselves it lets them even sacrifice their own children for the sake of their own self-fulfillment. And that religion promises much. It promises people the ability to throw off the shackles they feel that God wants to put on them. Baal worship, it, it promised rain and fertility, but it couldn't provide it. Turning away from God can seem to promise much as well. No rules, no restrictions, just pleasure, just doing whatever you want. But in the long run, it will only provide misery and hopelessness. It can't provide any meaning for your existence or give you any purpose in this world. And some of you have realised that in recent years. Perhaps others are beginning to realise that. What what our world offers, it promises much, but it, it can't provide Another deadly false religion is outward respectability in which you get to heaven by turning up to church every week, paying in your money by being respected, uh, perhaps even reading your Bible and praying. Uh, And that false religion, it promises peace with God. Tick all these boxes and you can have peace with God. But but it can't provide it because if us doing anything uh, could provide peace with God, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. And notice as well here what it is that transforms this widow's life. It is the arrival of God's chosen prophet. She had no hope. She was dead in her sins and her idolatry. But God's prophet arrived and blessing came. And it's the same today. When I talk about true religion, I'm not talking about following one set of rules as opposed to another set of rules I'm talking about God's chosen prophet coming and saving us. And for us today, God's chosen prophet is not Elijah, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And Elijah, as he comes and brings God's word beyond the borders of Israel, is a preview of Jesus, who we're told came to proclaim light, both to his people and to the Gentiles. And it wasn't even that this widow woke up one day and chose to give up idolatry and trust the Lord. God was the one who did the choosing. Uh, Look at the second half of verse 9. God says, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. That would have been news to the widow. She only found out about it much later. As far as she was concerned, she was just trusting in God's promise. Only later would she find out that she had only been able to trust in God at that moment because God had first chosen her. And isn't it the same with us when we come to trust in the Lord Jesus? We, we hear about him, we, we put our trust in him, and we think that we have chosen him. But then later we find out that he has wondrously set his love on us from before the foundation of the world. And actually, Elijah going to this widow is very similar to us as we go out with the gospel. Because what does Elijah know as he goes to Zarephath? All he knows is that God has commanded a widow there to feed him. And so, as someone who trusts God, he, he can go to Zarephath and he can be confident that what God has said will happen. But he doesn't know which widow. God has chosen and so when he gets to the city gate and he sees a widow he asks her for food because he thinks maybe she's the one but he won't know unless he asks and sees how she responds and in the same way as we go out with the gospel we can be confident that people will respond that people will accept our message Uh, we can uh, apply to ourselves the words of the Lord Jesus to Paul in Acts 18. Do not be afraid, uh, but go on speaking, for I have many people in this city. But like Paul and like Elijah, we don't know who these people are. We don't know who in our community God has appointed to believe. So what are we to do? Are are we to to look around and see who we think fits the criteria? Well, well really anyone who is lost fits the criteria. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And, And so our task is simply to go out with the gospel, speak to them about Jesus. And those who God has chosen to believe will respond. The fact that we don't know who will respond uh, doesn't mean we do nothing we go out and we share our message and those who God has chosen will respond his sheep will hear his voice and perhaps uh, you tonight are starting to hear uh, something more than just the voice of the preacher but the voice of God himself and if so that is because God himself has chosen you and is at work in you So the first choice is between true religion and false religion, uh, between empty idols and trusting in uh, God's prophets. But the second choice we see here is between accepting or rejecting God's word. Between accepting or rejecting God's word. Have you ever been talking to someone when completely unintentionally you hit a nerve you innocently mention something which you think nothing of, which doesn't seem a big deal to you, and they fly off the handle. And you think, well, okay, obviously there's something deeper going on here. Uh, well, we might feel like that when we read Luke chapter 4. Uh, because 850 years after this event, uh, Jesus mentions the widow of Zarephath, and the congregation in his home church tried to throw him off a cliff. Now obviously Jesus knew what he was saying, but maybe we we're left saying, why such a strong reaction? It's not as if Jesus goes out and quotes from some book that, that's not part of the Bible. This is a Bible story that they knew, and yet Jesus quotes it and they're ready to kill him. Why such a strong reaction? Well, Elijah being sent to Zaraphath was God's judgment on Israel. Uh, the people who, who had had God's word for generations, they hadn't believed it. They'd rejected it. They, they tried to add in other things. Uh, and so God had judged them by sending his prophet elsewhere. And the Israelites of Jesus' day didn't like being reminded of that because they literally thought they were the people. They were the people of God, and it didn't really matter how they lived. God had chosen them, and uh, that was all that matters. But, but here, Jesus reminds the people that there had been a time in the past when God had sent his prophet outside Israel, outside of the chosen people, because if they weren't going to believe, God was going to invite in others. Uh, back in Elijah's day God's word had told the people to worship him only but they tried to add in a bit of Baal worship they would rejected God's word Uh, and God had judged them for that by taking his word away because without Elijah the people were left without God's word remember that they had no Bibles in those days Uh, So the only access they had to God's word was was if God sent them prophets. Uh, So God had judged them firstly in the opening verses of the chapter by taking Elijah and hiding him in the middle of nowhere. And now in the verses we're looking at tonight God has taken Elijah out of Israel altogether and sent him to Zarephath. Now we might expect that if God's people reject God's word they'll get judged for it but what do you think of when you think of God's judgment we tend to think of judgment more in terms of lightning strikes or or someone getting struck down with some illness or or even death uh, spectacular things like that but often God's judgment starts with him taking away good things from us if we don't appreciate them or use them, he'll take them away. And other than himself, there is nothing greater that God can take from us than his word. We see that in the book of Amos. Uh, through Amos, God was telling his people about a coming day of judgment. And part of that judgment would be God taking his word away. Amos 8.11 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In other words, God would take his word away so that even if the people desperately wanted it, they would not be able to get it. Here's the point, in 1st Kings 17, the land is suffering from a double famine, a famine of food but also a famine of God's word. And if we realise that by sending Elijah to Zarephath, God was sending judgment on Israel, it helps us see why Jesus' words in Luke 4 touched a nerve. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And the fact that he was sent to none of them meant that God was judging his people. He was rejecting them in favour of a pagan widow from Baal's hometown. And the thought of that was far too much for those sitting in the synagogue that day to take. I've heard of churches where new people start coming in and the people who've been in those churches for years and years and generations they don't like it because they have sat there for years and they haven't believed and and then God brings in a, a type of person that they don't like and these people are believing and so you have people coming in one door and others leaving the other door uh, nothing changes. The God's people had rejected God were, God's word and God had taken it away. And it's the same for us. If we don't appreciate and accept God's word, God can judge us by taking it away. Has God done that in our country today? On first thoughts, it would seem no. Uh, you can go out and buy a Bible uh, quite easily. Uh, a whole different range of versions, editions, colours. Uh, You can download it on your phone or tablet. You can uh, listen to it as well as read it. But people don't know God's Word. Just watch any quiz show on TV when uh, there's the rare occasion that there's a Bible question and people don't have a clue. And every time that happens... Those watching are being reminded that we're under God's judgment. We as a nation have had God's word, but we don't know it. What about churches? There's still so many churches dotted across the land. Do they preach God's word? Well, many do, and we're thankful for that. Uh, But many also don't. And perhaps in uh, some of those churches there have been uh, faithful ministries for years the people have, people have ignored it and God has judged them by removing those who would tell them the truth. So God can judge nations, He can judge communities, He can judge us like this on a personal level as well. If you start to become half-hearted about uh, coming to hear God's word preached God might take you somewhere where you have no opportunity to hear it preached. Uh, Or perhaps more likely, if you continually have no place for the Bible in your life, God may take away your desire for it. Uh, And you'll be surrounded by water, but die of thirst In 1800 after saving up for years, 16-year-old Welsh girl Mary Jones walked 26 miles to buy a Bible in Welsh. Is that a rebuke to us tonight? But we have a choice. We can accept or reject God's word. God's people have been presented with this choice and they'd rejected it. So instead Elijah is sent to the widow. How will she react? How will she react? And that's what's really at stake in verse 13. And it's important to realise that because at first glance, Elijah's request of the woman sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? She's just told him that she is about to prepare her last meal for her and her son before they die. And his response could sound like, right, okay, you do that, but but first give me some. If that was really what he was saying, it would be a really heartless request. But Elijah's request comes with the promise of God. Through Elijah, God asked this widow to trust him. He asked her to believe that the jar of flour and the jug of oil won't run out until the day he sends rain. He asked her to choose between faith in him and trying to provide for herself. And she chooses to trust in him. But imagine she hadn't. Imagine she tried to cling on to what she had for herself and for her son. She and her son would have had one last meal, but then that would have been it. But instead, by giving it all to God, they survive the famine. And God can use our pitiful resources too, as long as we give them to him. But so often we try and hold back a bit, don't we? We say, well, God, you can be in charge of of some areas of my life, but there are other parts I'll keep to myself. Whether that's our our money, our our time, or or that one thing that we we keep on doing that we know we shouldn't. When in reality, all we have is a little bit of flour and oil at the bottom of a jar, but still we desperately try and hold on to it. Whereas God says to you tonight, give me everything you have and I will give you everything you need. Give me that last little thing that you're trying to cling on to. Give it to me and I'll give you everything you need. I will more than provide for you and for yours. And that's really what faith is. It's staking everything on God's word. And Elijah had to learn that lesson as well this massive showdown is coming in the next chapter it's going to be Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal he would need to have complete trust in God's word and so God told Elijah to go to the most unlikely place where, he'd be, where he would be fed by the most unlikely person in the most unlikely way and through it all Elijah is reassured that he can have absolute confidence in the word of God If he hadn't been able to trust God in this chapter, he wouldn't have been able to trust God in the next. And by God's grace, this this widow trusted his word rather than relying on herself. And it brought blessing to her and it brought blessing to her son. And eight centuries later, in his first sermon in his hometown, the Lord Jesus spoke to the people, not about King Ahab, but about the widow of Zarephath, this single mum who trusted in him. So there are the two choices set before our nation today, set before each of us, between true or false religion and between accepting or rejecting God's word. Elijah would challenge the people in the next chapter, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. May God help us to choose and keep choosing the right answers to these questions. Amen. Well, let's close by singing a psalm which talks about God judging his people by removing his prophets. Exactly what we've just seen at Psalm 74. Psalm 74, verses 8 to 11, page 163, tune 147. Uh, so page, the page number down at the bottom, page 163, it's Psalm 74, verses 8 to 11. Verse 8, there are not any prophets left. We look for signs in vain and none among us knows how long this silence will remain. It is a silent nation at this point because there are no prophets and that is God's judgment. And yet the point of that judgment was to bring the people back to God. It was to wake them up to the seriousness of their situation. And so we'll close by singing from verse 11. And yet from times of old, O God, you've been a king to me. And in the last two lines of verse 11, as much of, as the Jews of Jesus' day didn't like the salvation, uh, didn't, like, didn't like it, uh, this salvation of God goes out to all the earth for all to see. So Psalm 74, tune 147, uh, verses 8 to 11. If you're able, we'll stand as we sing.